2: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days, you can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. I think it's all angels just walk by. From Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And it is such a wait, wait, wait for it. A treat to be here today. We have with us Dr. Shafali Savari. Shafali, how are you? I'm good. It's such a pleasure to be with you. For those tuning in to Shafali for the first time, let me do the honours. Give us a second. She's a clinical psychologist and a widely acclaimed author. And while we're on that note, it is a bit of a feat in itself, as her topics of conversation and, how, or I should say, how she approaches them, can in some instances be quite contrary. And so, she was born in India and trained in the West. Though her focus, her work focuses on the integration of Eastern philosophy and mindfulness, um, which she gracefully and powerfully weaves into her offerings on growth, personal development, and transformation. And I'm going to leverage myself out into a bit of a metaphor here. In the way that I see Cesar Milan kind of being the dog whisperer, for those that don't know Caesar Milan, pardon me, but uh, never once you actually see him train a dog. But you know, in the, they are always he's always training. You know, the the actual person that owns the dog or the dog care or the parent of the dog. Right. In the same way, you could argue that Shafali is the child whisperer. Right. She her work has been there to help parents parent, but at the heart of it. What I've come to find it like it really focuses on the parent and in reality her work is truly universal right because we've all been children once <laughs> so she's been on Oprah's super soul 100 list and Oprah went as far as saying in the 30 years she's been doing interviews Shefali was the best interviewable woman she's ever seen so wow <laughs> the Dalai Lama himself wrote the preface of her first book her work is here to help people heal and I can't wait to dive deeper into this today Shafali, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Really a pleasure. Thank you, mine as well. So we could start absolutely anywhere. I think I just want to start a bit casually and just let you know that, hey, I have the intention at some point to have children and it's coming up soon. like I can feel it in my bones. It's like in the next twelve months, twenty four months, we're gonna you know start thinking about children and perhaps you know some part of this episode can, Help those that are deciding to make children, uh, deciding to make children, deciding to go down that path, perhaps um, make a bit more of an informed decision. I do temper that with a little bit because I've read somewhere along the lines, I've done a lot of research on your work now and I love it. Seriously, guys, this is like we're talking to a person that legitimately every book you read, you can read every book and you take something away from it. Um, But one of the things was like to be consciously parenting, perhaps the most conscious parenting approach is to not have children at all. So. Can you provide us any advice? (laughs) Well, what I mean by that
3: is do your own work, right? There's so much we need to do to heal ourselves that if we don't even do a little bit, it's going to cascade into the parenting journey. Now, you can't complete your work because work is never complete. You have to always do work. And your children come and they teach you more and they show you more stuff about you that you didn't even know. But if you have big areas of your life that are not stable, it's good to kind of go to therapy, go to a coach, and at least spend five or six months unearthing your childhood just so you know where you're messed up. You don't have to clean it up, but just know, whoa, this is definitely going to be triggered in my parenting. See, I didn't do that. I thought I was in PhD school in clinical psychology. I was a meditator. I thought I'm good. But, you know, I should have taken my past more seriously in like a more. I did do enough that saved me, but I should have done even more because my patterns literally got recreated right away within the first two, three years. And a dynamic was set up that within three years now, you, you're into it too deep. I know it's only three years, but you're already in so deep. And to undo your patterns now takes time. Now, does this mean you can be perfect, pitch perfect when you enter parenting? No. But at least do some of your big work. You know, what are your roadblocks? What are your big traumas from childhood? What, how was your mother? How is your father? What are the archetypes you got around being a good child? Or what was childhood like for you? At least if you begin to uncover some of the, the key cornerstones of your childhood, then when your parenting comes about, you will be a little bit more psychologically savvy to the patterns that are going to repeat themselves, whether you like it or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think what I'm hearing there is awareness is key.
3: Oh my God, it's, it's key in every part of our lives, in our, our daily food, our daily exercise, and the most in parenting because children trigger you in your inner child and your inner child is stuff left over from your childhood, which was very primitive, which was not sophisticated, not developed. So your child now who's undeveloped and under six is triggering your stuff under six. So it's one big mess. It's like you become a toddler and you're having a tantrum with your toddler. I remember having tantrums with my three-year-old because I couldn't believe this three-year-old doesn't listen. You know, but it was my inner three year old that was dying for control, that wasn't calm. And she, just being a toddler, triggered that out of controlness that was left over in my legacy from my childhood. You see, this is why children particularly trigger you more. And awareness is so important, you know. So you're really good for the game, better than even I was, because you've been on this journey more arduously you know you've taken your evolution very seriously you'll be a little bit advanced in the game you know
1: touch wood <laughs> it doesn't mean that i'm i'm not intimidated so one of the things in there is um is yeah we to be honest i've i've i've, I've interfaced a lot with the idea around social conditioning um and how dense that really can be I'm just gonna call it as it is. I've never heard someone articulate it with the grace and the power that you have. Um, you guys, if you can check out Shafali's talks online um, or pick up one of the books, as I said, and I'm up and on about it, but legitimately, the the level of conditioning we undergo, and especially with your background as a behavioral psychologist, like, can you tell us a little bit more about how deep that really runs?
3: Yeah, so when we are infants and toddlers and really young, we're so absorbent like sponges, you know, and there's such beauty and innocence to us. However, because we can be so infiltrated, we take in whatever culture and our family puts in us. Most of what is in culture and in our family typically is unconscious. It's just regurgitated attachments to institutions that they grew up in. So they tell us, how we're supposed to be as children. Be good, be quiet, be fast, be athletic, be smart, don't cry, you know. don't be mean, be, be artistic, uh, don't talk so loudly. All these injunctions, if you're male, you get a different set and then you're called a boy. And if you're female, you get a different set and you're called a girl. And these isms of sexism, racism, ageism, all these things, these cultural institutions Get put on us, and we begin to wear them like masks in order to survive. But they obscure who we might have been without them. And we believe that this is the way to do it. This is the way to raise children with a prescription checklist. You know, check, check, check. So when the child is in the womb, and if you find out their sex, you already ascribe their gender. When they're in the womb, you've already ascribed family traditions, their family name, their religion, their God has been decided for them. You've kind of decided, you know, kind of what sports they'll be in depending on you. So we've already set set along the way their trajectory. And what that does is it doesn't allow for a new way. It doesn't allow for any rebellion. It doesn't allow for the discovery process to take place and that's why many of us fall apart in our 40s when our children then grow up and go to school and we go who am i because we did the school we did the god we did the beauty we did the dating then we got married then we did the career we got the house we bought the cars had the children children grew up we we got married in between and then we're like boom who am i it kind of stops there after the children turn 18. And and of course you can continue on, become grandparents, continue another career. Retire. But that's yeah. <laughs> where there's a there's this hitting block and people stop. There's a dam, there's a period and a pause where there's it's called the midlife crisis, you know, for, for, for good reason. Because it's a crisis of identity because now I've done everything on my list. I still am not pretty enough. I don't feel good enough. I'm not happy at all. And I don't know who I am. So now what? And that's where... Uh, things have an opportunity to many, 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 many women will tell you in their 40s is where they change their life because they did the motherhood. That was the final destination. And they now want to discover who am I without all the conditioning? Who am I without all the masks, without all the personas, without all the isms, without all the institutions? Now I'm going to undo all that, like shed all of that, unlayer, and now I'm going to find who it is I am. What a pity
1: we have to do all this, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just a gentle process of many, 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 many years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I totally resonate with what you're saying and part of me wishes it doesn't, but obviously I'm, I'm grateful for the lessons that I've learned. Um, yeah, I struggled with depression for about six years. And when I look back, it was, it was clearly one when we basically got to the root of what was going on, it was purely just a, a misalignment of values. Of what was coming up for me, I was raised with a certain set of values, which at the time was growing up as, as an Indian um, in an Indian family was put your best foot forward, put your best foot forward, always project your best foot forward. So um, like the conversation that the easiest way I can describe it is drive a Mercedes, live in an apartment, don't stress about what your house looks like, drive a nice car, put your best foot forward. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? There's always this fronting mentality and it's not ubiquitous to the entire culture. Part of me if it feels like that. I'm just reflecting that, you know, and I grew up in a culture where it was a lot more transparent. Transparency was a, as a key va- a key tenant and a key value in where I grew up here in Australia, and people valued that honesty, face to face honesty, and people couldn't trust what I was saying to them. And I didn't realize that not it, like people were operating from a different perspective. I thought everybody was living the way that I was, right? I thought everybody was just putting their best foot forward to meet the best version that was available to them, right? And that, obviously, as you can imagine, turned into a calamity. The whole house, the whole house of cards came down. And yeah, I had to go through basically the dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it. I'm not really sure, but it was, it was, yeah, diagnosed like for a young adolescent man to be sitting in a psychologist's chair to be going, hey, this isn't working. Like, I need help. Um, yeah, I went through my moment. So I can see that there are things that we're raised with that don't necessarily.
2: Um,
1: align with what you refer to as our essence right um and the challenge i also see and i've never really had to go and try to heal like my parents for it because i've never really really like i've never held them to blame because it's i just assumed that they were doing the best they did with the parenting that they got handed down to them right so they were doing the best that they did with the culture they had and they just handed that down to me it just so happened that it didn't really work in my situation intergenerational handing downs of the different cultures and the challenges. How do we actually hold space for someone new that's coming through to not have to go through like, cause there's always going to be our projections, right? They're going to be our projections, but the
3: more we do work, we're going to catch them. So when you do the work, you don't throw out these pithy maxims without checking. You know, if I said, to my daughter, Maya, best foot forward, I would know I was being a robot, you know? I would catch myself and go, why did I just say that? Where did that come from? Or if I tell her, you have to, da, 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 or you should, da, 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 I catch myself now and go, "What should, what, how, why? Mm -hmm. And so when you do the work, you begin to question yourself and all the shoulds and all all the, the, the doctrines and the mandates that you unconsciously subscribe to, And you begin to pause and you go, hey, who said that? The more work you do, the more you unlayer yourself. And as you unlayer yourself, those words of should and you must and you have to, they don't really flow through you unconsciously anymore because you've let them go in your own life. You see, what is awakening? To awaken is to understand we've been putting pressure on ourselves to live this false self That doesn't work for us anymore. That's why you had a dark night of your soul because what was put on you and what was wanting to burgeon forth were clashing and there was a conflict. And so what did you do in order to burgeon your true self? You had to let go all the false self. So you are awakened to a greater degree. So now all those false selves, the the words, the sentences, you can catch them. You You know you're fake, you know you're lying, you know you're falling under fear you've so done so much work to let go of your own fear-based reactivity and you're, because all your past was based on fear to get approval and love from your parents, you've now worked on yourself to get self-love. You don't really dump it too much. Like if I dump on my kid, I'm, I'm waiting for her to rebuttal me, you know, because I'm, I'm just trying it. Let me try. You should. And she's like, no, I shouldn't. I'm like, I know, I was just trying. You know? <laughs> I know. And and also when you begin to awaken and you begin to emancipate yourself, you very much don't want to enslave anyone else, you know? I mean, I think you really stay away from chaining somebody else. You've so worked hard on liberating yourself, you don't want to chain anyone. You so value freedom that you, even if their life is all messed up, as long as it's their life, you allow that, you know, so it looks a lot like permissive parenting, but it's not really permissive. It's done with an attunement to the sovereign nature of each human being.
1: Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. One of the key things that came up for me, and I almost had to check myself a couple of times when um, I, I read this is the, the conversation that we just had around fear bleeds into fear and love. And it was, I think it was quite bold and quite, um, I think bold is the right word to hear you articulate that, you know, love is in the human form that we give it. Like we are human. <laughs> How can you potentially love unconditionally is pretty much the premise. And it was like, your love is conditional. Like you are human. Can you accept that? And as I was sitting yes. with that, I was that was huge to receive, Shafali. I know, because we like
3: to believe we can love unconditionally, and, and it feels that we can. However, it's very difficult to love unconditionally. I think we come closest, I feel like this, I, f- I feel we come closest loving unconditionally with our children, really. But also you see that people don't know how to love their children unconditionally. This full of conditions, but certainly with our partners, it's very hard to love another adult unconditionally. And I challenge couples, what does that really mean for you when you say unconditionally? Because what if your partner stopped loving you? Will you still love them unconditionally? What if they loved another another woman, another man? Would you still love them? Technically, loving someone unconditionally is to love them without clinging, without possession, without attachment, without need, without dependency. You can be reliant on them, but you can't cling to them. They're not yours. Can you set the other person free? That is unconditional love. It's freedom. And we certainly are not loving our partners unconditionally. There's a legal contract with, you know, (laughs) around the finger, which is the noose around the neck. And we're like, you are mine. And from this forward, you can find nobody else beautiful. Understand? Yes, I understand. Okay. So ridiculous. It's so stupid. And we promise it for 50 years. Like, I don't know who I'm going, maybe I want to go live with a goat in 50 years. Nope, you have to live with me because you promise. So with children, it's you know, it's easier to love unconditionally, but also we have to understand that we've raised them to be ours. And so we train them to be under our conditions, you know. The real love of a child or another human being is to love their essence which is to really love them for no real agenda of your own, right? It's like, I love you. I love your being so much that I don't want to hold you. You're not a butterfly in a jar. And I get get it. I get your essence that I can let you be free. And um, that's like high love. It's very hard to achieve.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think what's coming up for me in that is also the, conversation of that really reflects our relationship with ourself for me personally, you know, it's, I find that I always have to catch myself as like, I'm doing a lot of things, but right? just, let's just put it all on the table in my life. And I feel like, Hey, there's a lot going on. And it's just like, and I often take a moment just to sit. And I had the blessing of being coached directly with Eckhart Tolle for six months. So his words in my ears are, are medicine. Um, but there was this point where it was like, am I good outside of all this doing like I'm just doing and doing and doing and it was like these kids have to do this and do that and like I kind of see it and it's like okay yep you know it'd be nice if they were you know academically minded or if they were sporting or if they're a musician musical you know and I can kind of see that that reflects my relationship with myself it's like there am I driving some parts of my self-worth on all the things that I'm doing right and then I have to check myself and be like, okay, in this moment, if I was just to be and all this stuff that I'm doing just dissolve, do I feel okay with who I am? You know, and that sounds really simple, but it's it's quite a confronting, deep sort of practice to consistently drop back into. But it is sweet medicine in there. But I can see, as you were sharing, it's like we have these expectations of others to do as well, and allowing them to just be also reflects how limited we are in allowing ourselves to be. Right.
3: That's so
1: beautiful. Yeah. The same thing said in a different way is that,
3: like I was saying before, when you touch your own freedom and you manifest your own authentic self, you understand when somebody else wants to do that. You get it and you help them manifest it. You help them preserve it and you help them express it. You know, you want to be the harbinger of their liberation, just like you were
1: of your own. You know, you you understand. Mm. And so one of the things that you were just tucking back into where we were before, I don't think I fully comprehended how much we project onto kids and how much potential there is and how slippery a wormhole this really is, until I realised, as you shared, that even in the art of naming your child, you've already begun, sucker. I was <laughs> just like, I oh, hit. Shit because i've been playing the baby name game (laughs) and i was like oh of course that's me like projecting like baby's not even here i haven't even looked at it it's like you tell me what your name is maybe your name is gaga i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah you
3: got it it's complete you know playing god you know thinking you're god and Oh, you know, we're gonna go skiing, and the kid is two years old, and the kid needs to learn skiing. And then another parent will be like, the kid needs to learn Japanese, and the kid needs to learn, you know, sign language. It's like who, who said all these things? But we have decided, you know, it's good for their brain. Now, am I not am I saying that it's not good for their brain? No. I'm just saying we don't know that it is, you know. Yeah, literature has shown and science has shown, but at the end of the day. You know, we put so much pressure on this doing, like you said, on this achieving, on this creating, this curating, this masterpiece. And like you said, it comes from our own incapacity to not be in doing but to be in being. Hmm.
1: How do we then go from like a place of allowing and like surrendering and just simply being, but also being being supportive, I guess. How do we afford the support that the children actually really need is it like an yeah, guidance? Yeah. Oh, sorry,
3: I think I think you you definitely are hands on when children are like to ten. You're hands on. You're present. You're engaged, and you just are very careful about how you're limiting them in their in their ways of being. You're just aware of your projection. You're aware of your need. You're aware of your insecurities and you're just checking them, but you're very present and you're very real and you can still make mistakes and then you kind of show up in, in imperfection and apology and transformation. This is not about being perfect and being robotic. It's being fully alive, fully there, fully fallible and constantly trying again and again.
1: Wow. <laughs> I think it sounds easier than it's, than, than it's uh, actually um, actually said. It's a
3: lot of work, listen
1: it's the end of your freedom (laughs) so this is a thing right everybody says that it's the end of your freedom like how does one prepare themselves for such a thing do you know what i mean you can't
3: it's like a it's a cataclysmic paralytical paralytic shock to your system Mm -hmm. and how little freedom you have you have no idea Mm -hmm. you think you're busy now right and you have no idea what's coming It's just paralytic. It's, it's so apocalyptic. It's, it's shocking. I remember, you know, my daughter waking up six times a night and I I couldn't believe I was in this life. And I was like, no one told me about this. This sucks. I don't like, this is not, this is not joyful. This is not beautiful. This is torture, but your eyes don't stay open. You know, you can't go to the bathroom ever again in peace. Like your three year first three years is a stupor. And then you have another child, another three years, you know, your bank balance is depleting, depleting, depleting. Your wife and you don't want to touch each other. She won't have sex with you. She's exhausted all the time. You come home and it's a shit show. Everything's a mess. But there's something very beautiful about it. But people talk about the beauty. I don't think people talk enough about what a cataclysmic upheaval it is to your life. You know, it's just unbelievable. It's revolutionary. It's, you think, oh, I'm going to have a baby. No, you're going to wreck your life. That's what you're going
1: to do. I find that the interesting piece in there is I'll, I'll listen to people about their children, and the, I consistently get this piece where it's like, it sucks, it's really hard, I lost all my sleep, this happened, that happened, all these all these shifts, all these changes. And it it's just like negative after negative after negative after negative after negative. And then the last little thing that you hear them say is, and it's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> it's just like wait, oh, if you said that about anything, like chocolate makes me fat, chocolate, I hate it. Yeah. I just like, I had it, but it's the best thing I've ever done. It's like, what is going, how? It's good that you're hearing negative. In the older generation, like
3: my generation, never heard, I didn't hear any ne- much negative. I just heard it was a given, you have to do it, do it, suck it up. I never heard it was so hard. So I'm glad people are talking about it. So you're fully prepared. This is not a joke. It's like climbing a long mountain. Hmm. The, the view is great at, at times,
1: but it's a climb. Hmm. And there is a reward in the child process, right? So like now you're, like I read somewhere along the journey um, and perhaps it's different now, but at some point your, your, your daughter wasn't even reading her report cards.
3: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I had tra- taught her not to care. Uh, and then... You know that came to bite me in in the butt because she continued to not care, and then when it was time for her to care, she wasn't caring. But that's okay because I wanted her to have an ease around that. Yeah, so there's a lot of joy in the process if you look at it as a as an opportunity to grow, to awaken. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, there's nothing like motherhood
1: and fatherhood to grow you up. And Shafali, there, like you mentioned something just really quickly, but. To dive deeper into that, the willingness to experiment, like that's not something I necessarily, and I'm projecting a lot of my own stuff on other people. I'm not a parent yet. Um, but I'm not really sure that that's readily available. Like I started seeking advice from some, some of my friends that have already had parents, and they're like, this book, this lady, this book, this lady, this book, this lady. And it's like, okay, like I get there's like a template and a formula, and it's definitely worth learning. But is the relationship with experimentation as open in homes as you would like it to be?
3: I don't know. I don't. I think people are uh, reluctant and scared and um, I understand. But I do think parenting is opening up and schooling is opening up and people's ideas are now we're trying different things. But you're right, it is an experiment. It takes a lot of daring because you're going anti-mainstream and you're burning the prescription list and you're trying it differently. No one's done it quite like you before. Uh, but I think it's worth the effort. I really think it's worth the effort.
1: And is the effort then also part of just to make it personal? Like, obviously. I kind of see it as potentially being the next iteration of one's own personal development, one's own personal journey because then it's like, okay, like my partner is such a powerful mirror for me to actually reflect back in on things in life. Okay, those are places where I need to do some pruning, right? Or there are some places where I can really step into and really allow my support in the person and my essence to shine through. And I'm imagining that perhaps with a kid there's going to be like even just even more of that mirroring to such a degree it actually it gives you an opportunity to reflect in, reflect back and be like, okay, wow, like I've got even more. Like the next chapter of the work kind of begins.
3: Uh, yeah, the next chapter of the work begins. With your partner, it was one level of mirroring, but with your children, it's just something unprecedented because you've kind of got adults down and you kind of figure adults down, but children, they just speak a different language, you know, and they evoke in you a lot of helplessness because they're helpless. They evoke a lot of feelings because they're in their feelings. You know, it's very different. Children speak a completely different language. And for that reason, have a capacity to really throw you off your center even more than adults. With adults, there's some rationality. You can go home. You can create a boundary. You can say, no, they understand. Children don't understand boundaries. They don't, they can't go home. They're always following you. They don't understand logic. It's just phenomenally infuriating and therefore you dig very deep to find patience, tolerance, love, be grounded, right? Because they're not helping you, you know, they don't help us too much. They're just wild and you're, you're forced to find your center and your way. But I think that's the beautiful challenge of it. It's a completely new country, a new terrain.
1: Mm. Yeah. And you mentioned somewhere along the way that, uh, Children almost live in different time zones to their parents.
3: Right. So I say that children live in different time zones because children live in the present moment and adults live in the past and the future, mostly the future. Children don't know that, right? So that's why we get upset with them because we're like, hurry up. And they're like, what's the hurry? And you're like, it's getting late. And they're like, for what? And you're like, it's getting late because I said it's getting late. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got a thousand things to do but they'll stop and smell the roses and pick up pebbles. And you're like, oh, my God, because we are living such pressureful lives. And children have a completely different
1: track of time, and it's a big clash. Mm. And sometimes I find in some of the spiritual circles that we move in, it's like people have this conversation around, you know, coming back to like you go through your journey, and perhaps this is what you're referring to before. At the age of 40, people start looking for who am I? And oftentimes the conversation is, oh, who was I as a kid? Do you know what I mean? It was like the essence perhaps even then was like, was clearer. And now I've kind of got to find my journey back to my child to be like, oh, those were the kind of things I really liked doing. Those were the, those were the truest expressions of me before I got pruned too heavily. You see that time and time again? Sure, 100%. You, you go back and reclaim memories
3: from your own childhood. You either start, doing things again that you gave up yourself, or you realize, oh, I'm using my child to go back, backwards in time, and I gotta stop doing that. Yeah, it's a it's a huge opportunity to pivot back and reflect on your own childhood, like unprecedented opportunity. You won't get it through an adult, only a child would make you go back into your own childhood like that.
1: And so what are some of the key challenges that you interface with on this journey? Cause at the moment I can imagine that there's like a whole bunch of responsibility that is projected onto you as being like, Hey, conscious parent. And then it's like conscious parent. And then you're trying to navigate the surf of just, this is my journey. I'm just doing my own thing as well. Do you know what I mean?
3: How does one know- oh, yeah. I mean, But that's for any teacher, you know, you have to understand people project all this perfectionism on you and they have some expectation and, uh, you just have to learn to not buy into it, you know, you you respect it, you understand it, you communicate clearly, but you don't take it on you. You don't take on the mantle of the projection that they give you, either the, the beauty of the projection or the defamation of it, you know, the positive or the negative. Don't take any of it. It's people's projection. It's not who you really are. And therefore, you have to know who you really are. Because if you go into this thinking you are who your audience makes you, you're going to get lost i mean i i really am quite disconnected from um this idea that people may have of me you know i like so when somebody introduces me you know it's quite embarrassing because i don't see myself like that
1: you know hmm. yeah i we're talking about a little bit about polarities there as well and i remember um how did you put it I pursuing anything is a trap <laughs>
3: right we were talking about happiness
1: and yeah. the pursuit
3: of happiness is such a is such an illusion because if you pursue it you know pursuing by its energy is like running after or craving or desiring something and it means that you are feeling the lack and from that place you pursue now we all talk about pursuing on a colloquial level no problem i'm talking on a deeper level if you feel in lack and do something out of lack, which we all do in our 20s. I was full of lack in my 20s. Uh, we realize we have this restless, hustling energy. Mm. And we think we're so smart when we're hustling. You know, I, I used to call myself a hustler. And now I realize I don't hustle anymore. You know, now I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an attractor, I'm a radiator. I, I want to just do my work and, and shine with it. And I don't, and in doing that, you don't really hustle. It comes to you, but you have to be very powerful to do that. You know, feel very much grounded. But in my twenties and my early thirties, I wasn't grounded. So I was hustling all the time, nervous, in lack, like desperate. Let's make connections. Let's make connections. And now I've just so stopped all of that. And I do better, you know, I do much better from this place of ease and flow, but it's something you have to evolve to. I don't think people can just come here. Without going through the hell of hustling, you know. Mm. Yeah. You first have to pursue, then you realize the the fallacy of pursuit.
1: Yeah, I think in the personal development space, there's a lot of this debate almost at the moment um, in the conversation that's being had. Is like, do I flow or do I hustle? Do I align or do I hustle? Do I align or do I hustle? And for me, it was maybe don't hustle if you're not aligned, <laughs> but once you're aligned. Then perhaps consider hustling. Do you know what I mean? Like from there you kind of know what you want to do and it's it's take the energy to to, to create what you want. So Shafali, when you're doing some of this, like we talked a lot about fear and unpacking and you know, catching yourself, like you know, allowing yourself to go into these places, okay. Now I'm gonna operate from a different level. I'm gonna be an at attractor, I'm gonna be a manifestor, or you know, I'm no longer gonna be operating from this fear. How do you identify yourself? Is it a, a practice of meditation that you've got that supports you? Like what helps you identify becoming more self-aware and identify some of the things that are in there that are you know that, okay, this is yeah. serving me, this isn't serving me. Yeah, you have to really quote unquote do your work. What is do your work? You have to talk
3: to a coach once a week. You have to meditate every day. So I meditate every day. I write in my journal. I do all this work. I'm reading books all the time. And I'm very reflective, you know, if something goes wrong in my life, quote unquote wrong, well, boy, I don't let it go. I hunker down and go, what did I do? How did I create it? What's my energy? Where am I coming from? Am I coming from fear or abundance? Am I living in the past or the future or the present? Where are my fears? What the F is this about? I don't let myself go because I see it as a misalignment and a mishap of my inner being i take my in my my mishaps very seriously i don't blame other people i don't leave it to other people um i really make a choice like if this is going to continue what are my choices how do i create boundaries how do i shift myself I, that's called doing the work you know you have to be very serious about it i don't take it lightly at all i will not have a conflict with my daughter without looking at myself very very seriously
1: you know Mm, I'm hearing some. I would, not,
3: I would not eat too much. I mean, if I eat too much over a couple of days, one time is okay, two times is okay. But if I'm overeating or after two or three days, I'm gonna do the work, which means write in my journal, ask myself, where is this coming from? What's the pattern? What am I hiding from? What am I afraid of? And you begin to learn how to do this work after doing this work for considerable periods of time, meditating, listening to self-help gurus or teachers, doing courses, I have tons of courses and learning the language of how to do this inner reflective work.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. The, the extreme responsibility that that puts on, on oneself is um, yeah, is, is quite amazing, isn't it? So one of the things that comes up with me comes up for me is when we're talking about um, meditation and we're talking about that as a bit of a process, I'm aware that, there is this com- cult, like cultivating this relationship with, okay, perhaps my thoughts aren't necessarily my thoughts, you know, and if they are my thoughts and they're impermanent, they too will drift away and they too will melt into wherever they came from almost. Um, and then also over time, we build a level of relationship with the present moment that is perhaps every now is also impermanent. Right. And then there is just this, this witness, this observer that that is left behind. Um, How do we help cultivate that in our children? And if I'm saying that, am I once again projecting that, my expectation into my kids? (laughs) Well, very
3: young children already have that impermanence, being in the moment, being present. They are masters, gurus of living in the present moment. Nobody does it better than a young child. They just go at the moment. They're like closer to source, closer to their animal nature very, very much in their bodies, very organic, very real, very raw. Children are like unbelievable. When you have children, like just observe them. They're like, I wish I could have children again. I would just be quiet and observe. I I would, they're fascinating. They're just unbelievable. Um, So they already know how to do it. But to put it on them, like meditate, meditate. uh, No, that is projecting onto them. You know, you meditate. If they see you, they'll come to you. If they are taken to it, they'll come toward it. You don't have to. I don't believe you should force children to eat what you eat, to be who you are, to act like you are. You do it. And if they want to come to it, they'll come to it. If there's something in their own soul that wants to come toward it, they will come
1: toward it. Hmm. Any advice for if they're not in alignment to what you're hoping for? Obviously, there's opportunity to check yourself, but there is going to be conflict resolution at some point, right? How do you approach it's conflict? not
3: conflict resolution. It's a 100% they're not going to. My daughter and I complete not in flow in terms of sy- synchronicity. Hmm. But I don't look at it as conflict. It's just her being, my being, different spaces, different stages of consciousness, different developmental time pressures, different focus. It, there's no need for conflict. There's no need for conflict when you accept that it's bound to be different. When you expect it to be different, you're... Not disappointed, no.
1: Mm. Yeah, powerful. Yeah,
3: I know what you're asking though. Like, your kid goes to school, your kid isn't studying. How do you deal with that? You know, Mm. when they don't follow the expectation of society, yeah, it's difficult. You know, you're going to yell, you're going to scream. I've yelled, I've screamed. And then I come back to my center and go, okay, what's my fear? What's my conditioning? Why am I falling into the trap? How can I work with it in a way that is a win win situation? How can I understand? How can I let go? Where can I let go of my fear? It's, where it's a constant battle. I mean, you are going to scream and yell when your kid is not following culture and the, that part of you that wants to follow culture is still in you and you'll be forced to challenge that, you know? Yeah. If your kid doesn't talk to other kids, you know, you'll be like, okay, I waited till fifth grade. Now you're still not talking. You don't have one friend and the kid is, I don't like people. And you're like, what do you mean you don't like people? You have to like people. And the kid is like, why? And you, you don't have an answer, but you're like, culture's told me you have to have a lot of friends. You know, like things like that will come up, you know, or your kid doesn't like to play sports and you think they should. They'll be like, why? And you're like, I don't have an answer. Culture told me you're a boy. You should be playing sports. What's wrong with you, right? You'll be forced to go against what you were conditioned with. And it's a fascinating process of ungrounding you, you know, and you're like, holy moly, this kid is not following my expectations.
1: Mm-hmm. Expectations, there they are again.
3: <laughs> it's, the, it's the cause of all our suffering. Expectations, yeah. well, Unmet expectations. The met, the <laughs> expectations are lovely when the unmet expectations are hell on wheels.
1: And how often do we meet expectations?
3: <laughs> Every day we're unme- not me getting un- the weather is not good. The traffic jam. <laughs> people are so dumb. You know the president the unmet expectations we have
1: you know yeah limitless and so on that with the limitless unexpected yeah unmet expectations the conversation around suffering is a is a poignant one because uh we've had this conversation in in my home now which is do we really want to bring kids through if the world has so much inherent suffering in it right yeah and it's an interesting conversation because the inspired evolution is fundamentally filled with hope And so I'm almost nervous to just have this conversation on the podcast, but it's my truth. So if the world has so much suffering in it, right, and bringing children into a world, like, do you really want to contribute to that is a question we've asked ourselves. And to be honest, we haven't really been able to resolve.
3: Well, technically, if you were really, really loving and and, uh, concerned about your kid, you may choose not to because it is suffering. But it's okay. You can do it. You know it's okay you can you can put them through it. we've had it for millions, billions of years you can do it too. but technically, yeah, it's if you bring them here, choose to do it differently. you know that's my advice you know don't do it the same shitty way that your parents did it or everyone else did it you know to make you afraid, to make you needy, to make you feel unworthy, not good enough. like we've been there done that. so if you're going to waste children try and do it completely
1: differently. And- try. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that we do hold the opportunity to potentially give it a crack to write a different script when some of the stories that we live in, because everything we live in is a story, right? And the archetypes we embody are just so fundamental, it feels like, at, at certain times. We potentially do have the opportunity to rewrite a script, you believe?
3: Oh, all the time. But you can't rewrite the script till you wake up, you know, and hundred percent rewriting the script is the point of evolution. You know, we're not, to evolve means you have to rewrite the script. And part of that rewriting means uh, saying goodbye to the old script. So with that comes loss. And people are afraid of losing because we don't want to lose the old, but we want the new, but the new doesn't fit in the old. And this is the challenge. This is the fundamental challenge of why people don't want to change because that
1: loss is too palpable, you know? Mm. I hear you, and so in that, I've got to ask a question: What does inspired evolution mean to someone with your, or in your, to you as your perspective? I think what it means
3: to me is not robotic uh, evolution that happens on its own, because there is an evolution that happens on its own. Inspired evolution is taking your evolution consciously and really taking it in your into your own hands and carving your own destiny as much as you can in this life and really putting
1: your intention behind it, I think. Hmm. Do you think, Shafali, that it's quite interesting that some of the, a lot of the philosophies from the East now are starting to meld their way across to the West and people are generally having more and more conversations like the one you and I are having now. Um, Do you think there is a bit more of a collective awakening happening and is that safe to say or do you think it's just the circles that I'm moving in that I'm probably seeing more of that? I think
3: it's in the circles we are moving and we, we all see each other everywhere and we are like, Oh, we're growing. But I think it's just one circle <laughs> of the same pack moving around, you know, uh, I'll tell you why it, it is improving in some ways, because we are getting a bigger platform because of social media. However, you know, if you take population growth and you take how many people in the world are there and you do the proportion, it's, it's, it's still very small. Right. But we are at least getting a voice which we didn't have before and more people have a chance to follow. Um, So there's hope, but I wouldn't say that, Oh, consciousness is reaching a tipping point. You know how people like to say, I don't think it is. I think we just have more social media, but it's one, that's wonderful. It's great. See, I don't need, for me personally, I don't need consciousness to reach a tipping point. I know it won't. I know that this dimension is mostly going to be asleep and only 0.000001% is going to start waking up so i don't have it's not like i'm a pessimist i'm just a realist i just don't have a, i don't want to have unmet expectations i have realistic expectations that waking up is a very difficult process to go against your conditioning is extremely arduous it's extremely audacious people don't have the guts it's too terrifying i understand i don't expect see i don't need it to say consciousness is at a tipping point i don't know and i most likely think it isn't so why Would I say that I'm okay saying we're mostly unconscious, the work we're doing will impact only a small dot in the universe, and I'm okay with that. I don't need to feel grandiose that this work is going to change the whole world. I, I don't need to change the whole world, I need to change one or two people who want to be changed. That's it, you know.
1: What about all the fluffy stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so what we're doing is
3: an impact, we're going to change the future. Yeah, I'm sorry, we're not, but it's better than zero, better than zero. that's what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's 100, no, but it's, it's two, it's great, it's better than zero, you know, I, I like to think small because then I keep myself humble, and I keep the realistic, realistic expectations in check, and then I'm always pleased, you know, like if you tell me 30 people heard us, I'd be like, wow, I'm I'm kind of always surprised and pleased. I I don't expect too much. You know, when 200 people first showed up for my conference the first time I did it, I was blown away. You know, now I have in hundreds and hundreds, but back then I was so humbled. You know, I was like, wow, 200 people know me. Right. That was like huge for me. And that's, that's, that's what I mean. Like, keep it simple. You'll always be pleased. You know, it's a good philosophy.
1: (laughs) I love that. And not only is it stoic, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's entirely refreshing. It's inviting, um, and it, it, it's re- really, really grounded. So, thank you for that. Really appreciate that. And you just—you mentioned you get around a bit. I know you're coming to Australia. When is that happening? Oh
3: goodness gracious! We, we didn't—we didn't look at the dates. I'm going to I'm going to tell you in a second. I'm going to be there on uh, uh, November eighth, I believe, in Sydney, and then I think it's November tenth or eleventh in. Melbourne and then Brisbane. So something like that in November. Right. So I do want people to go to my Facebook and look it up on my Facebook page. Uh, and uh, yeah, buy tickets. The, the page is there. The event page is there. And, you know, people can sign up for my newsletter. That's the best way to find out when I'm coming to Australia. Go to drshafali.com I have tons of courses there. And I'm opening my coaching institute. I have a coaching institute and we're opening its doors to train people to become conscious parenting coaches so if they want to learn about it. Again, sign up for my newsletter at drshefali.com and I'll tell them all. The best way to
1: find out about me is to just sign up for my newsletter. Perfect, and the best thing you could probably do, and I, I don't say this lightly, is actually come along to a talk. Shafali, watching you speak live at the Mindvalley events that I've attended, legitimately, just the presence, the impact, and yeah, like exactly what you're getting here in the podcast, guys. Just, you know, there's always a thing that we want to hear. And when someone comes out and gives you what you don't want to hear, but what you need to hear, but it's still tempered with such humility, grace, power, and just reverence for what is, it's it, it's hard to discount and it really leaves an impact on you. So thank you so much for your time, your energy for doing it here. I'm looking forward to seeing you in November. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank you for not just today, but all the work that, you know, it's a life's work that kind of informs the conversation we've had here today so thank you for going there and doing all of that and being here thank you all
3: for listening and thank you amrit for having me and the work you do so i'm so honored to be here
1: wishing you all the best thank you thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the inspired evolution you're loving these episodes make your way across to youtube click subscribe fresh episodes are launched every monday with highlights being released throughout the week thank you so much And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul, and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve.